Everybody, how we doing? Jimmy Palumbo Show. The first ever Jimmy Palumbo Show. Episode number three. The first two ones, I think, uh, went pretty good. We got some decent uh, response from from people out there. Um, and I got a kick out of that, learning everything about Spotify and iTunes and all this stuff. Of course, I got the great Chris Gucci behind the glass, as they say. Helped me out tonight producing the show. We are only audio only now, but we are uh, starting to play around with some video stuff. So, uh, although I don't know, I, to me, I look like I look like Charles Durning. So, I don't know how well the video stuff's gonna be. <laughs> I sound like uh, you know Mick from Rocky, and I look like Charles Durning. Other than that, I'm still adorable. Those of you scoring at home, so we'll see how that goes. These two producers are wearing Yankee hats. I think they do that. Like they both wear Yankee hats to be like impressive to me. Um, you know, thank God they're not wearing their Packer hat and cowboy hat, which is the most, uh, pathetic thing I've ever seen. There's nothing, it's just still, uh, one of the ongoing themes on this show is going to be uh, the whole thing. And, it's, and listen, we did it in beer league and a lot of comedians have covered it. This whole living in New Jersey, being a cowboy fan, just, it's just so God awful in every way. And now the kids today with the fantasy games, no one roots for teams. I should be happy that they actually like a team because I don't know. I'm I'm team LeBron or what are you talking about? Who's your favorite basketball team? You a Nick fan, net fan. What are you? Oh, I like LeBron. Really? That's, that's awful. I I can't stand that. I'm a Nick fan. We haven't won in 70 years, but I'm a Nick fan. If LeBron James is a matter of fact, I'd love to get LeBron. I like at 42. How great would that be? LeBron James getting involved here, 42 years old. Final score, Knicks lose by five. LeBron pouring in eight points late to keep it close. He'll have like the gray beard. He'll start to get fat. It'd be so great. I'll be the biggest fan ever if he comes to the Knicks as an aging fat slob. That would be, matter of fact, I want all the great fat slob veterans. Uh, you know, I love that. That's fine. Cecil Fielder, when he came to the Yankees, I thought it was the greatest trade ever. Or, signing whatever it was he was so heavy by then the uniform didn't fit right he was still hitting bombs so great i love all that i love all the flawed fat older players that are still playing sports it reminds me of me playing softball the last five years um and of course i had to pack it in when the team whole team got too old those of you who don't know even though i was in a movie about softball i actually still played softball up until 2019 we shut it down. The name of the team was Corona Construction. Corona, and then the virus hit. And so uh, when Corona doesn't play softball, nobody plays softball. Shut the whole thing down. But uh, I just have some really major, a major announcement tonight is, I think, for the softball fans out there. It's very important to discuss. The Chop Sports Network, of which I am now part of, has just announced a, a lucrative signing of... Jimmy, a.k.a. Johnny Trino Palumbo, has indeed signed a one-year deal for softball to play on the CHOP Sports Network team in Middlesex County, New Jersey. Both nights, Tuesday and Thursday, and I haven't committed to what night because when you're a 
a wily veteran like me who has, you know, over 7,000 softball at-bats, um, you get to choose what night you play on. If I want to play Tuesday or Thursday, funny thing is Tuesday night, my oh, what, Thursday night is a co-ed league. And now that I'm older, it'd be nice to have a couple broads around, you know, see what they got. You know what I mean? I know I'm not supposed to say broads, but I said that in a Sinatra way, not a, not a creepy way. You know what I mean? So I don't want to get emails about that, but you know, um, it'd be great to play with some girls. Well, you know, what are you going to do? You know, keep the, that keeps the, uh, you know, what's the word? I don't know, keeps the morale up when you're down eight nothing in the fifth. You look over your third baseman's kinda hot. That'd be nice. Or if she looks like Boog Powell, you're screwed, but that's the way it goes. But if she looks like Boog Powell, she probably plays like Boog Powell and you're actually up fifteen to eight, you know, with a hitter like that. But um yeah, so I will be making my 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 you know, comeback. My re- retirement is short lived as I get signed. For a one-year deal. Fans are on their feet. Jersey sales are through the roof. The Chop Network Sports uh, jerseys with number 44 on it are like, they can't even, they can't make them fast enough. Because every year I played softball, the only number I wore was 44 for Reginald Martinez Jackson. And I even wore that in the movie Beer League. And I will wear it uh, this season. But I gotta, I gotta start hitting the ball a little bit. I'm a little, uh, I gotta I picked up a few pounds. I got a little, a uh, little sloppy, and I was lousy in my last year of Corona, so I can only imagine uh, how I'll be. But I'll be, uh, I'll be playing on a familiar field that I'm used to, over at Warren Park over there in uh, in Woodbridge, and. Um, uh, I'm guessing first time up, I'll just casually slap a base hit at the right field. And, and and the comfort level for the fan scoring at home, like, you know, somebody, maybe there's some 30-year-old guy with his 5-year-old kid, and I get up to bat, and that guy might say, you see that guy right there? That's Jimmy Palumbo. He's been in the league since 1987. And the little kids say, Daddy, is he good? And of course he's going to slap a base hit. Hey, Jimmy, you're the, you're now the fat, older player that you were talking about. That's it. That's I'm that guy. You're the Cecil Fielder. I'm the right? Cecil Fielder now. You're the now. Cecil Fielder. But you got to figure that's Chris chiming in over there because he's seen me play before. But you got to figure that the dad's just going to look and uh, and say, son, I know Jimmy's going to get a, a lousy, cheap base hit over the second baseman's head right now. And that's what I'll do. I'll swing it to first pitch and I'll slap it over second baseman's head for a base hit. Then I'll call for a runner. The crowd will go nuts. Of course, I'll finish the day one for four. I won't get near it the rest of the way, and then I'll go have a couple of beers in the parking lot to celebrate. So, but that'll be that'll be fun. I don't know how many games I can get to, but uh, I might. Uh, you know what'll probably happen by mid mid season? All my guys who played on my team will be on their team. Who are they kidding? They're not that good. Anyway, so that's big news there. We also have some. So we have some good news and bad news uh, this week. Um, we're going to start off with the good news. The good news, our show, obviously, I tape it every Monday. It doesn't drop to the final following Monday. So this weekend was a very exciting um, uh, Rutgers weekend. Uh, we'll start off with the good. The good was the first round of the tournament. We beat Clemson in a really great dogfight back and forth, and we took over at the end, and we won the game. So for the first time since 1983, and you know that Brian Ellerby, who was on last week, was saying, uh, he was the last guard to be on a team that won. Rutgers actually won an NCAA game, which was like the greatest thing ever. Me and my friends were partying and having a good time. I say friends. It was just my one buddy in the apartment because of COVID, no one does anything. Normally, I would have been half in a bag jumping on a bar somewhere, but instead of I was just sitting on my couch 
looking like looking like Cecil Fielder watching a game. But uh, it was awesome. I was like, oh my god, they were playing, you know, Houston, the second round, the second seed, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, but they're good, but you know, we'll hang in. And then the worst possible thing happened because if Rutgers would have got blown out. Number one, their wrestling team did great all weekend. Uh, Johnny Paz ended up uh, the fourth. A freshman, he finished fourth in the Nationals, which is incredible. And a couple other Rutgers guys did well, which was awesome. And the, some of these guys, you know, young, they're fresh. He's a freshman in the Big Ten wrestling. Yeah, that's like, that's like, you have no idea how big that is. And then Sunday night came, and we're playing this really good Houston team. And uh, Rutgers not only hung with them, they were... Uh, I was at one point, I was like, I don't think Houston's that good. I still don't. They're up by 10 with, I don't know, eight minutes to go or five minutes to go. We were in control. Guys were, we were playing great defense. And then, then, then I don't know what happened. I, I, I don't want to bash the coach because that's so wrong. My, you know, the bottom line was we went into this like prevent offense, not realizing that our offense has been in prevent offense all year because we like never score. And we got outscored 14-2 to two in the last five minutes. And we also turned the ball over like three times in the last minute. We, I mean, I, I don't want to use the word choke. That's not fair. I think the word choke is like if you miss a free throw with the score tied with a second to go. That's a choke. But I think it's, you blew the game. Uh, Rutgers blew the game. You can't, you can't turn the ball over a bunch of times. You can't miss a, a alley-oop dunk. Okay, Miles Johnson, I love you, but you can't miss that dunk. You did it all year. He also missed a tip-in rebound right in front of his face. Um, this all happened in, in the last a minute of the game, no, two minutes of the game. You just can't do that because you know they're going to hit one of those crazy threes. That's what happened. And then, of course, we had the ball 20 seconds ago, down by one. Geo Baker, four-year starter, here we go. Three-year starter, really, I should say. And he, like, dribbles it out of bounds, and then uh, then they had a foul him, and then it was game over. And then there was still nine seconds to go, and you got Harper, took a three. I don't think it was as wide open or a good look as people think, but he had, he had a look, and it clanked off the rim, and that's it. We blew the game. I think a devastating loss for Rutgers. I think having a whole week being in the Sweet 16, able to capitalize on that, young kids looking at it, you know, players that may want to come here, um, Pico would have been doing interviews all out the wazoo. Now, you know, here's, okay, this is Jimmy negative Rutgers fan, okay? When you play in the Big Ten, okay, this is a big boy league, okay? And when you play in the Big Ten, no game is ever guaranteed, except when you play like Monmouth in the beginning of the season or, you know, those schools. When you get into the Big Ten schedule, Every game, I feel like we can lose. I don't have that feeling like, oh, we're going to go 16-4 and four in the Big Ten. No, no. We were in every game this year except for a couple of them. So I'm thinking to myself, my God, we may not go to the tournament in like ever again. I'll be 90 next time they make it. I just wanted it. They had a great season, and um, I love the team. I do. But you know what? It's only 24 hours after, and I'm, I'm you know, I feel like I'm at, still at the wake. The wake, you know, you have like two to four, seven to nine wake. 
I'm right now at the seven to nine. I was at the two, two to four because I'm very close with the family. So I feel like it's been a long day. We went to the two to four awake today to, 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 to totally mourn over Rutgers. And then, and then we, you know, then in between, we go out to dinner, right? You go to, you end up at Manny's and, and Clark there. And then you got to go back for the seven to nine. And we're still grieving this Rutgers law. So I'm still bitter, bitching about the doctors. They didn't do this right. So that's why I'm bashing the coaching staff. Even though I did think the coaching staff was very prepared for Houston with their defense, they knew how to handle Houston for sure. So I got to give them credit there. But this prevent offense with two minutes to go, ISO, all the, it was awful. But no one knows what I'm talking about because no one knows who Rutgers is but me. But it was very irritating. We should have made the Sweet 16. And then if you look at the bracket, you got Syracuse. Now, Syracuse a pain in the ass. We all know that. But I just sounded like John Sterling. We all know that. But look at some of the scores. Anyway, um, you know, you have you have Syracuse, right? And we beat Syracuse by like 12 this year, okay? Because Syracuse knocked off somebody. And then if, God forbid, we beat Syracuse, Illinois lost Loyola Chicago. I mean, they're hot, they're good. But, like, I'll take that game for the right to go to the Final Four. And we only scored two points in the last five minutes. I can't take it. And then, to annoy my soul... Two things. I'm at the gym today, which me at the gym, that's that's a that's like a that's like being at another wake, okay? I watch the Rutgers women basketball, right? They're up by ten with six minutes to go and they blow the game. I was like, what is this with Rutgers in the in the tournament blowing games? Oh my god. I just can't take it, you know, and I had to hear about all the women's facilities weren't as good as the men's and I, I feel like saying I don't think Rutgers should not comment until you win a few games in a tournament. You know what I mean? You're allowed to after the tournament, then you go on Twitter and complain. Let's win a few games. Let's 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 like let's I don't know, access our inner North Carolina and make a run and then say, Hey guys, the weight room is awful. Don't get bounced in the first round and be like, Oh, the facilities you know, talk about that in the final four. And then if you talked about it in the final four, I'd get mad if you did that. But I understand the women got chipped. They really did. But I just don't want to read about that until, like, let's win a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong about that. In this in this environment, I'm probably going to get lambasted. But shame on the NCAA for having horrific facilities for the women. That's ridiculous. The amount of money you're making from the CBS contract alone. Uh, anyway, I'm disappointed. The women lost. The men lost in the second round. Anyway, but thank God Rutgers Wrestling did well. I think we're like ranked, I don't know, 12th in the country as a team. Of course, we're 6th in the Big Ten, so there you go. You know, I have a theory. I'll get bashed for this too. I think it'll be much easier, much, much easier for Rutgers to win the national championship, okay, in football. Win it all. Beat Alabama like 20 to nothing, okay, than it is for their wrestling team as a team, to win the national championship. They'd have to be better than Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin. That's never going to happen. Never. This guy at Rutgers has recruited every stud, and we're sixth, but we're 11th in the country. It's just never going to happen. It's such a brutal conference. Oh, my God. Of course, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. I don't think we'll beat Alabama 20 to nothing. Maybe 6-3 at the half. I'll take it. You know what I mean? So anyway, that was that's my Rutgers. I, I, everybody thinks I'm. I know I'm the Rutgers guy, and I'm even wearing this creepy Rutgers jacket now, which is annoying me even looking at it on the camera. Um, but I gotta let it go, and I'll be uh, turn my eyes to football now. 
Rutgers recruiting well. Season starts in September. Yankee baseball starts. That will the antidote is the Yankee baseball. As Rutgers fans, I always felt bad for Rutgers Mets fans because they have to go through just horrific things. The Mets just drive you crazy. Whereas being a Rutgers fan, as a Yankee fan, it's, that's like the vaccine. It's like you tell, oh, thank God, Yankees are playing. Okay, we, you, know, you stem the tide. But if you're like a Rutgers, I don't know, God forbid, you're a Rutgers Mets fan or something like that, you just you have nothing to look forward to. But even though I think the Mets will be better this year because they got a better owner, but um, Yankees start up. But I miss, I love baseball when it starts out. I think of my dad and. Um, all the games uh, when I was a kid watching him play softball and he played semi-pro ball in Korea. So, and a big Lou Gehrig fan. So we're going to, that's always a good time. That first baseball game, when you listen to John Sterling and Susan Wallman turns it over to him and he says, well, I uh, thank you, Susan. Um, I just, uh, as a matter of fact, we got some sponsors uh, that I just, some, some people I know want to uh, sponsor the show and the only way I could get them to do it, to spend the money. And it's not really not that much money, <laughs> I told him I'd do the ad as John Sterling the whole time, um, or I'll do the whole ad doing Bob Shepard, you know, your attention, please. Now advertising on the Jimmy Palumbo show, Absolute Eyewear, Craig and Janine. Uh, anyway, that's my teaser of Bob Shepard. And I will do Bob Shepard every now and then. I also might end up doing Jim Carvalho's because the real popular announcers – it's always better like to do the ones that no one really knows, but if you do know, it's even funnier, you know. Over to Ewing, no good, he's foul. You know, that kind of, that's a little little preview of Jim Carvalis. If you don't know who he is, well, then you just assume that I'm doing a perfect imitation, even though I don't do a good imitation. The other thing is, I'm a Giant fan, football, and Bob Shepard used to do the games at Giant Stadium, so everybody knows Bob Shepard, you know, now batting Derek Jeter, number two. You know, that whole thing. But to me, it was always much funnier because he did the Giant games. And so you would be like, you know, spilled by Carson, Taylor, and Van Pelt. That, and that was like funnier because like Bob Shepard doing the Giant games, which he's been doing since the 50 when he's dead now. So, um, but then I found out that Bob Shepard, the famous Yankee Stadium announcer, he was a lector at a Catholic church on Long Island. Now, one of my biggest regrets even to my Catholic faith, that maybe I won't get to heaven because of this. Why didn't I go to a mass in Long Island? Could you imagine a letter of Paul to the Corinthians? I mean, you imagine like him doing like, you know, <laughs> for the troops overseas. Lord, hear our prayer. Like are you, That would have been the most religious experience. That, that church should have been mobbed. And then I found out, I think Eddie Layton played the organ at some church. I'm like, why didn't I go to these? So you drive an hour and 15 minutes. Someone says, where are you going? I'm going to church on Sunday. Where you go? I'm going to go to Long Island. Why are you going that far? Bob Shepard's doing the lecture, so I want to hear every, like, imagine the announcements on Tuesday. The Rosary Society will be, I mean, that would be the most intense moment of my life. Oh, my God. It was also Manny Sanguin's birthday the other day. I just said that for my buddy Steve Venditti. I have dreams about players from baseball cards growing up. I had a Manny Sanguin card. I have dreams where I'm sitting, I'm out to dinner with Manny Sanguin. I don't know anything about Manny Sanguin, although I'm going to research him now. So I'll call up my buddy Steve Venditti who works for the Giants. 
I'm like, Steve, I had a dream last night where I was having dinner with Manny Sangi and, and we laugh at that. Like, what? There's no point to it. There's no, there's no punchline. It's just, oh, Manny. I mean, you know, it's just crazy. It absolutely makes me nuts. I, I know I went on a tangent there, but the bottom line, everyone must agree with me that imagine Bob Shepard doing a mass, even if you're not Catholic, even if you did a, a bris. I mean, it's, it's, it's intense. <laughs> you imagine that? It's, it's like, I, I like, Bob Shepard should announce everything, you know, in your, everyone's life. It should have been. Imagine if he was on Cameo. Bob Shepard would be making $5 million a day. Because all you got to do is just call up and say, Bob Shepard, can you just say, say hi to my friend? Imagine even trying to pick up girls, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, now hitting on the heavy set woman at Leggett's in Manasquan, Jimmy Palumbo. <laughs> now completely... Out of place with girls running all over the place who are much younger, faster, and stronger at DJs in Belmar for happy hour, Jimmy Palumbo. Too fat. Oh my God. I could, you know what? I could talk about Bob Shepard and uh, I'm going to do a little Marv Albert too. (laughs) I still love, he used to say stuff like, Eddie Lee Wilkins getting involved here. Um, from the Omni in Atlanta. I miss the old stadium. Like, from the Omni in Atlanta. That's a much better thing than, like, you know, United States, uh, I mean, American Airlines Center, United Center. That's awful. You want to hear from the Omni. Nobody even knows what the hell the Omni is. It's probably a supermarket or something like that. Anyway. I know I just went on a tangent. But those are the kind of things I want to do. You know what's great about this podcast for me? It's self-indulgent. If I want to talk about Manny Sanguin, um, then I talk about Manny Sangain. And I insist you guys subscribe, like, comment. Like, I want to be able to you know, look up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. And I want to have someone, like, email me about how much they love Manny Sangain. That would be required reading for me. Like, I will enjoy all the people saying, Jimmy, good job, good job. I don't care. But if someone says, Jimmy, did you know Manny Sangain batted like 331? Yeah, I'm like, I want to find more about this. But I'm sure during the break, I'm going to go online and find out exactly what Manny Sanguin did. You know, as I get older, I tend to appreciate different things. One thing I love now more than I ever have in the past is some unique furniture. Not just any furniture, unique custom furniture made by Battle Rattle Woodworks. He's specialing in charcuterie boards for all those parties you're about to host when this weather gets a little nicer. Even better, if you enter the code CHOP15 at checkout, you're going to get 15% off your entire Purchase massive savings on some unique American-made stuff. Help support your local veteran right now and visit them on social media at Battle Rattle Woodworks. Hey, guys, this is Sturge from Chop Sports, and I want to talk to you about a new hobby of mine, and that's real estate. Ever since we brought on our resident realtor here at Chop Sports, that's all I can think about. So we got another one. You know who's really good at this stuff? Jay Devlin of CRG Homes. Jay is out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and business is booming. Whether you're looking to relocate, buy, rent, or literally purchase property and watch your stacks get higher, Jay is the guy to do this for you. He's already in the process of helping me out right now on a possible summer home. Call Jay right now, 843-315-5913, and have yourself a chat and learn about all the perks and tell him Chop Sports sent you. I also decided that every week I would, um, to switch gears here, um, I was going to talk about a booking that I have because I some of the bookings and I talked about the friends booking last week, and this one was was a big one for me. Um, uh, it was a movie with uh, it didn't have a lot of stars in it. It only had Robert De Niro, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Tommy Lee Jones. I'm sure um, 
Many of you don't know who they are. Robert De Niro was in movies like um, The Godfather and, and Casino and Goodfellas and Raging Bull. Uh, maybe you can Google them. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer was in uh, um, the movie with Al Pacino there when she played a total hottie. What's the name of the movie now? Cocaine all over the place. Scarface. I had a senior moment there. And Tommy Lee Jones is probably one of the biggest movie stars of all time. He was like three franchises where 70 billion people watch them. Uh, and and me, uh, Jimmy Palumbo. Uh, but it also included Dominic Lombardozzi and um, and Johnny DeLeo and, and many others. I was by far the, the least profile. But it was, a, it was an incredible booking because I went to the audition and every, all those, I call all the guidos were, were there. It was a big New York City audition. So all the guys that I see all the time. And I sound Italian, but I don't look Italian. I don't do that. How you doing, Vinny? I don't, I don't do that because I just don't talk that way. I just sound like I'm from Jersey. And I was like, oh, my God. And they were all names. I was like, oh, my God. You know, a Big Pussy from The Sopranos was in the room and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like up against it here. So I went in. And uh, Luke Besson, it was the director. And he's in the room. And um, I didn't. I didn't know who he was though. I didn't. I always Google the, the 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 director. I didn't this time. I don't know why. I just didn't. And I go in the room and he uh, he's doing the French accent, which I don't really know how to do. So to talk like this, and so I go in and uh, he asked me where I'm from, and, and I didn't realize he was from France. So I said, "Oh, it's easy. You get to Jersey. You take the Parkway up. Go to the top. Make a left. I live right there." And I was saying that to someone as if if you lived out on Montauk, he said, "No, you get on the LIE. You go all the way down when it ends." You get out and you go to the beach. That's Montauk. You know, but I mean, this guy's from like Paris and I'm talking about the Garden State Parkway. Then we started talking about Jersey tomatoes. And as I'm doing this, I'm like, what am I? I'm in a room with this huge director producer. I'm talking about nonsense. So then I did this scene a couple of times and the casting director was giving me a, she's a big time casting director. She was totally giving me a look of like, what are you doing, Jimmy? You know, like she thought I was doing shitty. So, I end up, uh, I get a call back and I go in and I pretty much read it the same way. I put my, you know, same little, uh, I have one of those suits where I wear for funerals, weddings. It's the one suit. Like if somebody dies and I go to the wake, I'll have a suit on. So anyway, I go to this call back and I end up, I was not sure what role I was auditioning for and so on and so forth. So a couple of days later, I'm walking to the city and I get a phone call from my manager and he's like, um, Hey Jimmy, it looks like you you you, you booked a, a day's work on the uh, on the movie The Family. I'm like, oh my god, really? Yeah. He's like, it's uh, dude it has De Niro in it. And he's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Because yeah, it'll be a day's pay. We'll see if we can get you a few extra dollars. Blah blah blah. I'm like, good. So there I am. I'm on my phone in the city, and all of a sudden, like 20 minutes later, my agent calls me because I have like agents and managers and all that junk. And he's like, hey Jimmy, we got to talk about this booking. Blah blah blah. It looks like it may be like a week. I'm like, oh my God, a week, that's bigger money, you know, here we go, I didn't care how many, I'm, I'm at the age now where I don't care how many lines, it's how much they, they're going to pay me, and if I'm going to qualify for my health insurance through the Screen Actors Guild. So then he's like, no, Jimmy, looks like it's going to be a week, and I guess my manager and agent weren't on the same page, So, uh, they, but they were working for me in a good way, it was all good. And next thing you know, I get a phone call from my manager. He's like, yeah, Jimmy, uh, give me a call. I, you know, I gotta, we got to talk about this. So I got on the phone with him, and he's like, yeah, it looks like, um, yeah, maybe more than a week, you know, maybe like two or three weeks. Now I'm like, oh, man, triple the pay. You know, I'm all fired up, you know. And then I literally it starts to downpour. So I duck into this bar 
uh, on West 23rd Street. It's the one with all the kitschy, weird, they have like an old RV in it. Uh, I forget the name of the place. It's got all weird Americana stuff hanging on the wall. There's no one in there. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It's pouring out. I go inside. Now, my phone's ringing, and I, I couldn't get it. The, the, the service was weird. And now there are messages from both my agent and manager, like, Jimmy, you got to call us now. I'm thinking, all right, three weeks worth of work. Calm down. I, I, you know, I've, I've been in the league before, you know. And then they're like, Jimmy, no, you booked the whole movie. You're going to be in Paris for six weeks. And I'm like, oh, my God. Next thing you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm literally, I'm calling my, my dad was still alive at the time. God bless I'm like, Mama, I just booked a, a movie, like a full movie. I'm going to be in it like a bunch, and I'm going to be away with De Niro and Pfeiffer and Tommy Lee Jones and blah, blah, blah. So then I'm like going through the roof. They got me more money than I ever got paid for a movie. I was like through the roof. It's like, oh, my God. So with that, a buddy of mine, I tell him, he's like, dude, another friend of mine, Dominic Lombardozzi, just booked that too. So Give me a soul, yeah, we, and we exchange numbers. Hey, dude, you're going to France, oh my, I'm friends with Anthony, blah, 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 blah. Turns out he's going to play my, like, FBI partner in the movie. So he's like, oh, well, make sure we get on the same flight, blah, blah, blah. So next thing you know, uh, we get we get to, uh, I meet him at the Kennedy Airport. And Dominic, uh, he'll hate me for saying this, but he's like a little, he's, he doesn't like to fly. It's not his thing. So we go to this, we're in the first class lounge, one of those lounges that you don't get to. Not not the one when you have the pass. It's the one like it's it's that other lounge that nobody sees. We go in there. They have a huge spread ogre and like top shelf liquor. So we start drinking, and I was in the mood for a nice scotch because you don't want to get I didn't want to get a, a beer thing going. So and so me and Dom start drinking Johnny Walker Black. By the time we got on a flight, both of us are flying high and we're in first class, facing each other in these like tubes that they have. And we're, every time the, uh, I was going to say waitress came by, every time the flight attendant came by, she just dropped more Johnny Walker Black on it. And then we ate a full meal, and, and Dominic's talking, and Dominic kept on asking about, uh, you know, is it going to be a bumpy flight? And the lady was giving us a look like, I don't know, we're halfway over the Atlantic, what do you want from me? I'm like, Dom, relax. So Dominic's like, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy, it's good you're talking to me, because uh, you know, I'm forgetting about, uh, I don't really like to fly. We were laughing so hard the whole time, we literally fell asleep in a, Johnny Walker Black uh, stupor. Then we land there. So we get there, and I didn't realize. I thought we were going to be like in a hotel or something like that. We end up at Luke Basson's compound, which was like this thing that had recording studios. It had a, 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 a place to eat, which was a, a kitchen from like 700 years ago, an old farmhouse, and the mansion was from the 1300s. It was actually the Nazi headquarters before Normandy, because Normandy Beach was like an hour and a half, two hours away. The Nazis occupied this, and they bolted after the owner, Luc Besson told me a story that the owner of this mansion was a French guy, and he had all these big-time French books. And when they took over, they just they just came in and said, you know, you, this is ours now. They were they were looking through his books, like taking them, and the guy must have had like an amazing collection of those old collectible books, you know, whatever. He was so he was so aggravated, he formed a big fire and he was burning his own books because he didn't want the Nazis to have them. And they took him over to a wall and they just shot him. And Luke Bassam's like, and they shot him right here. You can see like bullet holes. I'm like, this is nuts. So we're waiting there, and all of a sudden, I see a guy, like a little, like a little old man with a little travel bag, same one I had. He comes up, and I'm like, 
He's like 50 yards away, and I'm like, okay, Robert De Niro is now entering my airspace right now, you know? Next thing you know, it's me, Luke Besson, Dominic, and De Niro comes over. Bob, do you know Jimmy Palumbo? He's like, no, hey, Bob. Hey, I'm calling him Bob. I'm shaking his hand, you know? I'm like, next thing you know, and like he leaves, I look at Dominic. Now, Dominic was playing it cooler because he's met more of these guys. I'm like, okay, I've been in France for an hour and a half. I just met Robert De Niro. So far, so good. Then, then I see this, another woman with a travel bag coming in. And it's Diana Agron who played the young girl in it. Oh, she is gorgeous. I mean, deep speed. I mean, she's a wide out. She she you she requires double coverage. The defensive coordinator is literally in the huddle saying, "You need to know where she is on the field at all times." That I, I need to put it this way: the free safety has to have a great game when she lines up as the wideout. And so, because she was way too young for me, she's like twenty six at the time. She was like stunning. So she leaves. Next thing you know, I see this other, like, older lady come walking up. And I was like, oh, my God, that lady's beautiful. I'm like, wait a minute. That's Michelle Pfeiffer. Now, she's she was older, obviously, but she's, like, a, maybe a couple years older than me. But I'm like, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer. I was like, she's like, hi, guys. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. You don't say hello to me. You're Michelle Pfeiffer. I stare. And then, you know, she was so sweet. So she walks away. And the next thing you know, 10 minutes later, I didn't want to leave because it was the center of the, of the when you everybody walks in. Next thing you know, this big old. Texan comes slumbering over, and it's Tommy Lee Jones, and I'm acting like, now by the time Tommy Lee Jones came around, I'm acting like I own the joint, you know what I mean? Like, Tommy, how you doing, bud? What's going on? God bless America. So that's how we met everybody right away, and then we started shooting this thing, but every night for dinner, I know I'm going way long on this segment, I don't care, every night for dinner, I ate in a room, 15 by 20, with four round tables, so every night, I ate with Tommy Lee Jones, Robert De Niro, Dominic Lombardozzi, uh, Johnny DeLeo uh, played the kid, Diana Agron. They were in the room, like like, but it was like uh, public seating. So when you came in, and if you, I was sitting alone one time, and then Dominic walked in, he sat down next to me, and then De Niro walked in, and you naturally just sit down next to you, like he was sitting at the table, like we were at the. It was like being in the ninth grade dining hall. It was it was nuts, and then for some reason, the first night Luke Besson asked me and Dom to sit at the head table. That was the only table you couldn't sit at because that was Luke who was there with his wife and his kids and all that. And he goes, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, you come, you sit with me. So now I'm sitting at the head table. Now all the other actors are like, hey, who's that guy sitting at the head table? And they thought we were like talking about showbiz. You know, we were talking about Jersey tomatoes. And he was trying to figure out a way how to get Jersey tomatoes shipped from New Jersey. Like, you know, I, think, I don't think he could do that. FedEx has to know if they're like perishable. So that was the first night. After that, literally, uh, Tommy Lee Jones ate with me, and he is just, um, he's hard to describe. He's kind of like, uh, I don't know, uh, John Wayne meets Andy Dick. That's the best way to describe him. He's just, he's a little rude. He's a little pompous. He's also smart. He's also funny. Um, I got such a kick out of him because uh, I was like, I can't believe I'm in conversations with, with, with Tommy Lee Jones, you know. Um he actually, I asked him a question about farming and there was a thing outside this big rack of hay. And I said, Tommy, you own a farm in Dallas, uh, in Texas. I mean, what is that? He goes, oh, well, Jimmy, that's a, that's a hay thing. You roll it out for the animals. I said, okay. The other guy, Dominic asked, well, how much are they? How much do they cost? I didn't ask how much it costs. So meanwhile, uh, they had, they, they let dogs in this place. After Dominic asked how much it is, I started petting a dog. Tommy Lee Jones looks at me and says, typical goddamn Yankee. Yes, a question doesn't stick around for the answer. He called me a Yankee. And I was like, 
what? Did you just call me a Yankee? What is it, like 1864? Are you nuts? And I go, I said, hey, Tommy, I asked you what they were. You answered my question. Dominic asked how much they are. You asked him like that. And because I snapped back at him, he didn't bother. Like he, he, I was cool with him. You know what I mean? And then we went to a big event while we were there, and his wife showed up. And his wife was sitting between me and Dominic. And when he saw that, he, was look, he, he gave his wife a look like, yeah, those guys are okay. You could sit in between them, you know? And uh, so with that, I know I'm going on so long here. I uh, that we had this big event. They launched this big new film production thing out there, and it was uh, it was really cold in the place. But I had my jacket on, so who's there? Michelle Pfeiffer, and I knew some of the women were going to be cold because it was like in this old um, kind of warehouse kind of thing. And uh, but I ha- happened to open up a door where this other room was totally toasty warm, but it was just a door. I was just looking around. I don't know what I was doing. I had beer in my hand, looking around. So I went, "Oh man!" I said, "Hey Dom, this room was actually really warm. If we never, if we get too cold, we can go in there." Ten seconds later, Michelle Pfeiffer walks up in a beautiful dress. Now she's like, now she's Mich- now it's like you know. I saw her like at the Tuesday at the Tuesday run through when you're going through practice. Now this was Sunday at one o'clock. They're doing a national anthem. Michelle Pfeiffer had the full uniform on. She was ready to go. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, Pfeiffer is in the house and she's lined up with her sister, who is equally as beautiful. So she walks up. She says, "Hi, Jimmy." She goes, "Oh, we're just so cold." Now the door to the warm room was right there. As cool as Sinatra at the Sands, I go, oh, what do you guys call? Come on, right here. Open up the door. She goes walking in. She went, oh, it's so warm. She looks at her sister and goes, typical. This guy from New Jersey comes in here. We're here. We're freezing our ass off for 20 minutes. We walk up to Jimmy. He tells me right where to go. And I'm, so I didn't I didn't dare tell her. I just found out myself five seconds ago. <laughs> then I ended up, we had sat at the head table with her. She was sweet. And... Uh, but it was just that happened every night, and then. But in France, they they only work. They don't work no overtime, no overtime. So we were done by five o'clock. You go home, you shit shower and shave, then you eat. But you eat from like, you know, eight o'clock to like eleven. But you don't go back on the set till like ten. It's crazy. So like we, they had the finest wines. They were giving us for ten dollars a bottle. Even Tommy Lee Jones, like, hey, I, I know wine. This wine is, and it was ten bucks a bottle. Me and Dominic were drinking it like it was like high C. I mean, it was like we were just guzzling it. Um, as a matter of fact, I didn't even notice there was a tap at the little bar area. After my like eighth day of drinking wine, I was like, Dom, I love the wine, but enough. I've been drinking wine for 10 days now, you know? So I say it to the waiter, and the waiter goes, no, no, look, available 24 hours. There was a Lowenbrow tap, like like eight feet from my face. And so for like two nights, I just drank Lowenbrow on tap, which... Does that even exist in the United States, you know? Um, of course, it tasted fine because I was so sick of red wine. But I ended up having a great time. I shot a bunch of scenes with uh, with Michelle Pfeiffer, which were really intense. Um, then Tommy Lee Jones, I started telling stories in front of De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer. Like stories about, like, so, literally, like, the stories, same ones I'm saying on this podcast. I was in front of them. And uh, it was insane that Harvey Keitel showed up. And he had, like, flip-flops on. His hair was a mess. He's like, hey, Bobby, hugging his buddy. And I'm thinking, that would be like me showing up. At, you know, if Artie was shooting a movie in Paris, and I showed up, Artie, what's going on, bro? It was so, like, I was like, now Harvey Keitel, this is sick. And there I am, just little, you know. So when we, uh, but then there was a scene in the movie where I get I get shot and um, get killed. And I, we had to lay on the floor. So the, the word pussy in France means, like, wussy here. 
So Dominic, uh, Luke Besson kept on saying, okay, where are my pussy cops? Where are my pussy cops? So I started kidding around with him. Like, oh, we should do a movie called Pussy Cops for me and Dom. And Dominic Lombardozzi looks like he can, like, eat a table, you know. Uh, I look like a pussy. But I said, me and Dominic are the pussy cops. We look tough and we're, look, you know, we're New York City cops. But we're like, we get our nails done three times a week. So for three days, I'm, I'm doing this material in front of... Uh, in front of Luke Besson, and he starts going, we shoot this, we do this movie, we do, we do pussy cops, we do pussy cops. So I thought he was just like, you know, being a jerk off, like as if I had some power, like, yeah, we're going to shoot that, but you never do, right? So me and Dom decided to uh, buy uh, Luke Besson a gift uh, for, you know, you do that sometimes for a director. We go to the Mont Blanc Pen main headquarters in France, we walk in there. I'm dressed like I'm ready to play softball. And we go in, there's elegant lady with an English accent. She's like, can I help you, young gentleman? And we're like, yeah, we're looking to get a, we want to get a pen. Uh, director, Luke Besson over there, we want to do that. And she's like, okay. And she, first pen she shows us, $12,000. And so I look now, I didn't, you know, I know Dominic, but I'm thinking, I hope Dominic doesn't think we're going to go six and six here. Like, you know, so, like I went, no, 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 no. I said, $12,000 a pen, what are you out of your mind? And so she goes, oh, how about this? And she she picked out another one, which was $600, which I think is ridiculous, a $600 pen. But Dominic's like, ah, Jimmy, you know, a 300 from you, 300 from me, it's not that bad. I was like, you know, you're right. But now we had to tell her what was going to be on the pen. And I said, Dom, it has to say pussy cops. So when I looked at this lady, she goes, what would you like on the pen? I was like, um, yeah, pussy cops. Her face, like she went, oh, pussy cops, uh, yes, because um, I said it. Like, I didn't say it the way the French do. I said it the way we say pussy. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, pussy. She went, because I have to see if we can actually do that on this kind of pen. And I'm thinking, every pen can put an engraving. Who are you kidding? And it was like this beautiful white-looking thing. She comes back with a real scenario, like, yes, we can do it. Then I was like, she goes, okay, what do you want? I'm like, pussy cops. P-U-S-S-Y. It was insane. So then we realized when we have to give the pen to Luke, we didn't want to give it in front of people in case someone got insulted. We knew he was going to get the joke. So we pulled him aside. He's like, guys, I'm working here. Like, oh, come on, look just look at this thing. He opens it up. He's like, oh, pussy cops. I love it. And he, he, he says, I, I don't use a computer. This is how I write my scripts. And then he says, oh, I can't wait. We, we do this movie. We do this movie. So we shoot the movie. I'm leaving. The last day I say goodbye to him, he goes, yeah, and I'll get you the contracts, the contracts for pussy cops. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm acting like he's asking me for like a, a box of donuts. I'm like, yeah, yeah, send it to me. Send it to my agent. We're good. So me and Dominic never thought anything of it. We're then on the plane ride home, I'm like, Dom, did you, do you think, what be, I don't know. Year later, we get invited to a screening. And it was with De Niro and his wife. at, uh, And we see Luke and he sees me, gives me a hug. And he's like, oh, Jimmy, I forgot to bring the contracts. And I'm like, you don't look down. Come on, we're having dinner now. There's no time to talk business, right? Inside, I'm like, why is this guy keep on talking about contract? He says, your agents will have it in two days. So I call up my agent. I said, hey, bro, listen, I just got told by Luke Passan that I'm going to have a development deal for me and Dominic Lombardozzi for a movie called Pussy Cops. Let me know if you get anything. He goes, uh, yeah, okay, Jimmy, okay. Two days later, I get a phone call. Jimmy, it's Alex. I got this contract here for Pussy Cops. I was like, it, this, it was a complete development deal. I'm like, oh my God, I just signed a development deal with, at the time, a very powerful producer and director. 
and it was split between me and Dominic, and it had tiers. Like, we got a few dollars right away, and then if the project went further, you'd get a f- few more dollars until... And then I had, like, back-end, and, like, it was, I started writing notes about pussy cops, every joke. I think I wrote every pussy-slash-cop joke I possibly could think of. None of them were funny, probably, but... Uh, uh, then Luke sent me an email. He goes, no, 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 we write it. You, you But everybody thinks that we weren't going to be part of it. Like we were just going to be, we came up with the idea. And I'm like, that's not, he wants, and this, you know, at the time, Luke, of course, had some issues happen to him. A couple of his movies didn't do well. But um, at the time, he was one of those guys that could write, produce, direct, write the, you know, the whole, he could do all four things you need. And I'm like, I told my manager, I'm like, I'm telling you, he wants to shoot that movie with me and Dominic. I, I just know it, you know, but no one believed me. But, of course, that was years ago, and now I still have a development deal. I haven't, got, I haven't really spoken to Luke. I did I did wish him well uh, uh, on certain things. I try to keep in touch with him, but he's he's tough to get in touch with. But I do miss you, Luke. I know you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm so big in France. But Oh, by the way, being an actor in Paris... It's like being a high-end brain surgeon in New York City. They're like, you're an actor? What have you done? And thank God, you know what credits, you know what shows are big in France? Friends, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Desperate Housewives. And I had all three credits, so I was meeting people going, yeah, I did, I did, I did Desperate Housewives. I was in the movie for on that show for about a minute. But a very funny scene, but a minute. But they would treat me like, oh, they said, act these in all the shows. I'm thinking, in New Jersey, I'm nothing but a guy who bats eighth on my softball team with those credits, you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, the movie came out, didn't do so great at the box office, and that's why I'm in Matawan, New Jersey, on a, doing podcasts with uh, Chris and Dave, who are Cowboy and Packer fans. If that movie did well, I'd be at the you know uh, New York Giant facilities doing my podcast from there. So that's my family story. It was awesome to to do six weeks in France with that cast. I, I, I have photographs, experience of a lifetime. Um, so that's my family story. I know I took up a lot of time there. I don't know how interesting it was, but to me it's all factual, and that's what happened. Um, and I haven't heard from Diana Agron in a while. She was very pretty, pretty girl. But actually Johnny DeLeo, he lives like 10 minutes from here. I gotta get, I'll get him on the podcast. All right, we're going to go to a break right now, uh, and then we'll come back in a little bit with our special guest. We're going to have comedian Mike Marino. He is a national touring comic, a great guy, a Jersey boy, Jersey's bad boy, and we're going to have him up, and you guys got to hear this guy. He's fascinating career, and he's been very good to me, and uh, I can't wait to talk to him. I'm going to ask him all kinds of questions about stand-up comedy and life in comedy and showbiz. We're going to have Mike Marino coming up. Health and Fitness Professionals is your one-stop shop for all things sports medicine. They now have four locations in Woodbridge, Scotch Plains, South Plainfield, and Freehold, New Jersey. They're now offering physical therapy, occupational therapy, pain management, chiropractic services, acupuncture, cryotherapy, you name it, they do it. I can't say enough about their chiropractors on site. I get adjusted literally three times a week to get my old 35-year-old self feeling as best as possible. Contact them today. Check out their website, www.hfrehab.com for more info. Hey guys, it's Sturch from the Chop Sports Podcast, and I'm here to talk to you about LVC Transport. I recently just had to help a family member move after living in the same house for over 20 years. You know what that means. That's a lot of stuff. So I called my buddy Chris over at LVC Transport. He hooked it up with a massive dumpster. 
huge discount. Now, he's looking to help out every member of Chop Sports. Call him today, drop the name Chop Sports, and he's going to take 10% off the top right away. Just say Chop Sports, and he's taking 10% off the top. Get your free estimate today. Give him a call, 908-705-3006. All right, so good to be back here on Jimmy Palumbo's show, episode number three. My guest for this evening is a uh, is a great guy. I've known him, oh God, maybe twenty years, and um, I uh, he is an awesome comedian, actor, producer. He's got a million hats that he wears. Um, the the way you all know him best is uh, a tremendous stand up comedy. He's been touring the nation. All I think he's performed in every single state, all the big clubs in New York, L.A., Chicago, uh, Florida. And include some uh, really bad little clubs that me and him have performed that he's done those two, and he kicks ass at all of them. And he was also uh, kind enough to give me my first middle spot, which means I was a seven to ten minute guy, and he took me to a place um, out in California. And he's like, "You could do twenty five minutes, right?" I'm like, "Uh, maybe." <laughs> so he said, "Okay, go as long as you can. I'll come in and clean up the mess." We were in a, a Mexican place in Corona, California, of all places. Um, he's a really great guy. I want to welcome on to the Jimmy Palumbo's Jimmy Palumbo episode three, Mike Marino. Mike, how you doing, bud? Holy mackerel, man! I remember that place in Corona. <laughs> you remember that? Oh yeah. my god! First time I ever did twenty five minutes. We videotaped it. Um, I actually didn't have that bad of a set. You, of course, kicked ass. But that was the first time I ever, I remember I wrote every joke I ever wrote since I'm like eight. And I ran out of gas, but like four minutes to go. I'm like, Jimmy, talk about your father, your mother, get out of here, you know. But I was able to do it first time, and I always appreciated that. And you've always been very kind. But you're on my show now, and I want to ask you tons of questions. Now, first thing. I just got one question. Do you you really have the tape? Because I would love to see that, man. Yeah, I do. I do. Those are the good old days. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Listen, we about we're uh, we're both about fifteen pounds lighter, but uh, we we were fairly funny. You were better than me, of course. I was probably thirty pounds lighter, yeah. and I remember going out there. That was pretty yeah. far, like an hour outside yeah. of Los Angeles. Traffic. We had to take the uh, the two ten out, I think. Anyway, okay. First question I want to ask you is basic. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slam you here. I want to know. When and how you got your start in showbiz? Well, when I was a little kid, probably like you, I always wanted to be an entertainer. I was always clowning around. I I used to impersonate TV commercials for my mother and father. If you remember commercials when they had jingles that were memorable and sayings that were memorable. I would always impersonate them. You know, I'd be walking around going, you Ajax, boom, boom, the blue dog cleanser. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be that guy on TV since I'm a little, little kid. Uh, that's great. And through, uh, junior high, high school, I was doing the plays all the time. I was in the chorus. I was in band. I was in marching band. I always wanted to be a, an entertainer. Wow. So I'd say since I'm a kid. So see so your kid. Now, when did when did you book? Like you started doing commercials in the city and stuff. How old were you when you booked like your first commercial? I would say sixteen. Oh wow. Okay. I say the word wow a lot, but I mean it with all. Uh, I know you did a. It's funny. There was a big time American Airlines commercial when you played the kid in the army, right? So, I that commercial aired. You probably bought your house with that commercial, and. I remember it very well. It aired all the time. And then I meet Mike Marino, 
through a buddy of ours, and he said, you got to go down to 3rd Street in L.A. to go. You had that Tuesday night show, I think it was. Oh, and, yeah. And you were the host, and I sat in the back, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy's really good. Then we ended up, uh, he, he, you told me where to go to do open mics and stuff. I didn't know, really know. What, I was, I had acting credits, but I didn't have stand-up credits. And you were kind. You told me to go here. Plus, you were like, oh, my God, a Jersey guy. You know, we kind of hit it off right away. And uh, then we were, I knew Mike for like, four years and then you started talking about a commercial and then you sent it to me and I was like, wait a minute, you're the guy from that commercial. Holy shit. I couldn't believe that. That was an awesome commercial you did for American airlines. How was yeah, booking yeah, that thing? Funny, uh, funny about the way this business is. Uh, I crashed that commercial audition. Remember in the days when you would show up to an audition and they'd say, who's your agent? You're like, Oh, I'll put anybody down. And you, you got in there. Right. And, uh, I auditioned for that, but I never really realized what was coming. Wow. So I shaved my head so I looked like a Marine. Yeah, yeah, you look good. Three. I was right out of high school. Went to California. It was my first time even on an airplane. It was 19 wow. years old. I'm using the word wow again. I just get wowed by things. That's, That's cool. awesome. Got the commercial. Ran for four years. Uh, the first year, it got nominated for Cleo, Best Male Performer in a TV Commercial. Unreal. And uh, I signed with J. Michael Bloom, one of the biggest commercial agencies in New York. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> that's 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 really uh, that was a, such a huge commercial. So then you end up and now uh, we'll get to the Jersey Shore stuff in a while because you also had a prolific career uh, in a Belmar house down on the Jersey Shore. But we'll get to that in a second. So you ended up you go out you ended up uh, did you move to LA first when you started doing stand up did you do stand up in New York to start or LA The first time I went to Los Angeles I was 23 and I went for pilot season if you remember back in the day when it was uh the first 3 months of the year everybody ran to Los Angeles right. and hoped to get on a TV show so I, I did, did it that. I did it I failed miserably <laughs> and uh came back to New Jersey with my tail between my legs but I didn't want to miss the summer on the Jersey Shore anyway, so I didn't oh. care. I came back to New York and say, get me commercial auditions. Yeah, yeah, I did the same thing. It's so great. It wasn't until I was about maybe 28, 29 that you, I started doing stand-up. You didn't start doing because So when I saw you on the Third Street, I forget the name of the uh, place. Masters Cabaret. Yeah, you hadn't been doing it that long then. No. Wow, you were great right off the bat then. Said, wow, well, I figured okay. I was coming from an acting background and I was playing the role of a stand-up comedian. Yes, yes. You were great. Uh, that's unbelievable. So you, then how would you, let me ask you, how, like where do you get, I mean, obviously you're from New Jersey, you got Italian family, but within that realm, where do you, like how do you get your material? How do you, uh, does a joke, you just spit it out one day on stage or do you cultivate it? Do you write it at home? How do you, how do you get your material on to come out of your mouth on stage and how do you perfect it? Well, in the beginning when I was 29 and I started getting on stage, I really thought that I knew everything about performing. And so I thought I was doing like a monologue and I was bombing all the time. And I was talking about my mother and my father and my family. And it really wasn't resonating. It wasn't until I got in front of Mitzi Shore at the comedy store when she said to me, you need to be yourself and then develop a, a little bit of a, a tough guy attitude with an edge like you right. Jersey people do. Yes, yes. And that's what started to bring it out that 
I could basically just say the truth. I couldn't stand Los Angeles. I couldn't stand the way people were treating me. I couldn't stand the way people kept on thinking I was just an Irish cop and I would never get to play a mob boss. So I just started talking about it, and that's what made me catch my rhythm. Oh. I also was hosting all the shows so that I, I knew what it was like to get beat up, work a crowd, and not have any material just to see what would happen. Right. I never was able to I never was able to really host some of those cuz out in LA some of those I don't want your show wasn't really an open mic but some of those comedy shows uh, out in LA that are not at the big clubs were brutal. Some of the audiences were nobody was paying attention. Those those crowds oh, yeah. were rough, man. There's no doubt about it. I used to host the open mic at the comedy store on a Sunday night. You basically introduced maybe two, three people, and then you introduced Andrew Dice Clay, and that was it. He went off for two hours, and nobody else got on stage. Right. <laughs> yeah, those days were like that. I, I, that's why I used to get turned off by you had to go up there and hang out somewhere, and then you, you they made you feel like you had to get there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon for 11 o'clock. I always thought it was crazy, oh, but yeah. I, I guess at the time I was acting, not really doing stand-up, but uh, until I started doing stand-up. and then All right, so... What? I basically started doing stand-up because I wasn't earning the living as an actor. And I felt like if I can go out every night and earn a couple of dollars, at least the, you know I can make some supplemental income to the acting. Well, you certainly and do more than supplement now. That's wild. So do you remember your first joke on stage? Yeah. What was it? Uh, I said that... Uh, so a lot of people don't believe I'm Italian because I have blonde hair and blue eyes, but I can prove it. I'm 30 years old and I still live at home with my mom. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, my first joke I told, I, um, I look back on it now and I'm like, wow, I still use that joke, but it, now it's part of a bigger bit. You know, I love, I know you have tapes of yourself. You must laugh looking at some of the early stuff as I do when you're looking at stuff and you see a joke kind of germinate. And then later on, it's such a different bit, even though at the core, it's the same joke. Um, so when you, when you now, how, how long, how many different sets do you do? Do you do like, if you're performing in Buffalo on a Wednesday night, do you, and you're doing like, I don't know, Austin, Texas on a Sunday night. Do you, do you do the same set you did in Buffalo or, uh, Maybe you look at when's the last time you were out in that area. How do you go about putting together your set list now as a, you know, 20 year vet of uh, doing stand up? Well, before the pandemic, I was just so well trained in Greece that I could just not even think about it. I go on stage and what I saw five minutes before I went on stage, I had 20 minutes of material. Right. Now I feel like I'm a little rusty. I got on stage this weekend and I did two shows and I, I kind of put it on automatic pilot and didn't, I knew that my safety jokes, right. I knew what was going to work. Right. Which sure. Is brutal because I really wanted to just start winging it and doing some crazy updated stuff. And I was afraid it might not work. And now here I am in front of this big house with people. So I kind of uh, played it close to the hip. Although people were yelling out bits that they wanted to hear. And right. it could screw you up a little bit. Somebody yelled out, Osama. I'm like, I haven't done that in like six years. Right, right. I, I get when I, you know, it's funny. I get, as a doctor, take the call. Now, take Mike, call. take it live but with me. You got to kind of be quiet. I'm just tell the audience that he's taking a call, getting his blood work back from his doctor. Live. Hey, Dr. Rabani, how you doing? Hi, Mike. I'm doing well. How are you doing? 
I think I'm doing fantastic. Give me the news. <laughs> All right. Well, let's rock. So, blood sugar look good. My blood sugar uh, looks good. A little bit lower this year than last year, uh, as far as the diabetes. Oh, is that a good thing? That's a good thing, yeah. Your kidney looks good. Kidneys? Uh, No, I'm in New Jersey right now. You're in New Jersey. I want to do an ultrasound of your liver. Okay. Um, it is not rush, but it would be nice to do an ultrasound of the liver just to keep an eye on it. So you can do it when you come back. Okay. Only because the liver enzymes are a little bit elevated. That's, I think, from your fatty, uh, little bit fatty liver, but uh, it would be good to confirm that. Well, I probably have a fatty liver because I've been in COVID. I've been eating like a maniac. This is crazy. Not, don't worry, that's not that important. Your vitamin B12 is good, calcium, sodium, potassium, normal. Your yes. cholesterol is normal. Yes. That's right thing. It's not high, so make sure you're doing your fish oil. I will. Oh, the fish oil. How much have you been taking? I take the Vasipa every day. And I have the other two regular medications that I'm on. What about the gabagool? Ask him about the gabagool and the provolone and the scungeal. Maybe the I should take two a day instead of the one. Too much galamad. Four? Yeah, two in the morning, two at night. Okay, I'll bump that up. Yeah, bump that up to two in the morning, two at night. All right. It's cheaper. It's good for the uh, cholesterol. Okay. All right. Vaccine or wait a little longer? <laughs> I mean, I think, you're, I think you have antibodies. I don't think it's a rush for you. I think you can wait until when they are widely available. But if it comes up and you can get them, let's say they call you and say, hey, you're coming to get your shot, definitely you're okay to get it. There's no um, restrictions for you. Sounds great. Waiting for your phone call all day. Sorry that it's late, but I just wanted to make sure I got it in before I got out of here. That's all right. I'll talk to you very soon. Thanks for everything. Love you, buddy. Bye now.
Okay. Uh, well, hang on, ladies and gentlemen. I, I don't know. I'm not a, I don't know all the podcasts in America right now, but I, I don't think there's ever been a podcast where uh, a comedian talking to another man in showbiz, myself, gets a full blood work report. Uh, and what we learned about Mike Marino, that he got excellent blood work back from his doctor. Uh, of course, I was yelling out Galamad and, and Scoongeal in the background. But the only thing is, you might have a fatty liver issue that he has to get a scan for. That's common. And uh, a lot of people get that. And otherwise, your health is pretty good. And, you know, these are the reasons why you do podcasts, Mike. Because the whole nation is going to find out about your blood work. And thank God. Can you imagine if the guy said something lousy? What would you have done? I'd have hung up on you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Come on, man. I have been waiting for this doctor to call me all day. And, you know, they don't normally call you because they've got this thing called the HIPAA law. They're not supposed to promote or say out loud or something what your results are. Well, we just did it. I'm in a different state. Oh. And he had to make the phone call. So I had an appointment for the phone call. Obviously, he's an hour late. He was supposed right. to be at 30. Well, I'll tell you what. We're, we're, we're going to keep it in. So um, <laughs> I don't think uh, – listen, if, if he finds out about it, then this podcast is doing really well. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. My doctor's fantastic. And every year, in the beginning of the year, I go get all my blood checked yeah, because I should. have some serious problems. I had uh, eight inches of my colon removed because I wasn't digesting properly. I'm a fat guy. You know, I'm overweight. You're not that fat. Come on. So you got to watch your cholesterol these days. I don't know if you get checked at all. I do. I do. I look like he asked me if I played in a rock band. That's how bad my blood work was. I got my numbers were, but then some, then you know what you do certain things and this number goes down, but that number goes up and this number goes to the left. You take those fish oil pills though. Yeah, I heard you're supposed to do that. And uh, I take the fish oil. I take uh, um, the blood cholesterol level. You know what's funny? We used to talk about broads and 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 booze and carousing. Now it's like now we're doing prostate exams. How's your cholesterol? Hey, what brand of fish pills do you use? (laughs) How often can you crap? Are you crapping regularly? This is a crappy show. Uh, It is now. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thank you very much for sitting through that with me. Uh, It's probably the first time in my life I was ever interviewed, and I had to stop to get a phone call from a doctor. I love it. I love it. And, uh, well, let me know what uh, what do you got going on coming up. Uh, You're starting to get gigs now? Are you starting to ease up on the COVID now? Where, Where are we at? Well, you know, Florida opened up completely. So I do have some gigs at uh, in Florida. I just did the uh, Count Basie. We did two shows. And, you know, it was sold out both shows, but it was only 150 seats per show. And uh, I was happy with that. You know, everybody was separated. Everybody had a mask on. It almost feels like we're being lied to. Yeah, like Florida, a little bit of that. I'm like, I can't believe we did that. How stupid were we? <laughs> Well, I'm uh, I'm going to be producing some comedy shows coming up probably in April, May. And I know you gave me some dates. We're going to do some Jersey dates and it's going to be at a new um, it's going to be part of a movie theater. And I know I need a I need a kick ass headliner to launch this thing. And uh, so, of course, I said, I got to get Mike Marino in there so he could uh, do his autopilot kick ass shows. I'm sure you won't be on autopilot by the time that comes around. But uh, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on. Um, oh, man, thank you, you. You've had me on your uh, 
And wh- wh- where can we get you at? What websites? To, you know, where, where are we at? Live from my mother's basement. All my social media is at Mike Marino Live. And where can we get your podcast? What's the podcast name? Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, live from my mother's basement on Facebook Live. Okay. There you go. There it is, Mike Marino. And uh, that's it, man. Mike, I appreciate you doing it. And doing the show. And uh Thank you for listening to my blood report. Oh, it's the best, the best. I love it. That was unique. That was something different, you know. You gotta be Not on your feet. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Matter of fact, when I get my blood work back, I'll go on your show and I'll tell you what my blood Perfect. work is. <laughs> taking a call in. How's his uh, how's his blood? <laughs> that's maybe that's a new podcast. Mike Marino and Jimmy Palumbo present celebrity and actors blood work. And that's all we do is go through you can't get on the show unless you give us the blood work. That's it. How about we might be doctors? Like, hey, dude, look at your blood work. You'll be dead in four months. What are you doing? We can do it live from Walmart. There you go. That's it. We got to get an Italian doctor, though, to handle the whole thing. And listen, thank you so much. Mike Marino, everybody. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back from the break. Hey, guys, Sturch here from the Chop Sports Podcast, and I want to tell you a little bit about Sunflower Meadow Seasoning. First of all, a guy my size likes flavor on his food, and there's nobody other than Jess that I go to for that. Her flavors range from French onion, BLT, Cajun country, so much more. They got dip blends, season shakers, smoothie mixes. Not even kidding, I've added some of their smoothie mixes to my post-workout protein shakes, and my goodness, what a difference. Get on over to sunflowermeadowseasoning.com for their entire list of products. Tell them Chop Sports sent you. All right, so good to hear from Mike Marino and his doctor's blood work. <laughs> I still, that's the that's the first for me. I never fully discussed uh, someone's blood work live on the air with the doctor. Um, thank God he didn't have anything major wrong with him. Good for you, Mike. I uh, I don't think the doctor will appreciate he's on the Jimmy Palumbo show. Um, maybe he could lose his license. I can't get in trouble because, you know, I could say I didn't even know what was going on. And we'll delete it out of all the podcasts. But I think that was awesome. That was fun to listen to Mike. I'm going to have him back on um, at another time because me and him got tons of stories we could tell. Actually, all my guests that I have on, I'm always going to have him back on because they got a lot to say. But, um, well, I guess that means a, uh, uh, I guess the Rutgers saga has come to a close. They're out of the tournament. The women are out of the tournament. The wrestling season's over. Um, I guess I'll have to start getting ready for Rutgers baseball. Always a big seller. And uh, Yankee baseball starting up in a couple weeks. And uh, that's it. I appreciate everybody listening. Please subscribe. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify. Do the likes. Do the comments. Do the reviews. Even if you think I suck, say it anyway. I'll giggle at that. Um, I'll also drink a full bottle of wine if I get a bad review. And uh, just... uh, just do whatever you got to do. Promote it. I got to promote the show, too. I hope you guys had a good time. And uh, I will see you next week with, again, another special guest. Thank you so much. Where have you come from? Where have you gone?